Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We often wonder why God doesn't speak in our modern time. His voice seems so silent, so far away. This is not the only time that someone has felt this way. In our scripture passage, the prophet feels this keenly. You're listening to The Silence of God by seminarian Trisha Bosma. Good evening. I'm Trisha. Trisha Bosma. A member for about a year now. My family and I have been attending for, oh, two, two and a half years, however. But that was right during COVID, so didn't have a chance to see or greet or meet any of you at that time. But it's good to be here tonight. Um, I am on a second career journey. I spent about 18 years teaching middle school math, science, and Bible, and thoroughly enjoyed that until God called me into ministry. The last seven years, I've been studying at Calvin Seminary, and he has led me on a journey to chaplaincy. I currently work, uh, while finishing up my degree this spring, I work at Spectrum Health downtown as a chaplain part-time and anticipate beginning a full-time position there in June. And it is an honor to be here tonight, and I humbly bring you God's word. We'll be reading from 1 Kings 19 in a few minutes. I'm going to begin, and um, if you want to just have that ready, however, we will read that in a few moments. To have the last word is to be in a position of power. We maybe can think of an argument where we've been in where that position for the last word was something that was fought over, perhaps in your marriage or with a sibling. The disagreement continued because each of you would not concede to the other having the last word. Having the last word is powerful. When you have the last word, you control the narrative. Martin Niemöller was a Lutheran preacher in Nazi Germany, and he understood this concept well. The Reverend Niemöller initially was very supportive of the Nazi regime. He loved his country, the fatherland, he had served as a submarine commander in World War I. And he longed to see his country thrive again. However, he began to suspect that the voice of the Fuhrer was contrary to the voice of God. The voice telling Christians in Germany to hate Jews rather than to love their neighbor. And then there was the voice that came down in the Aryan paragraph policy, which commanded churches to bar all clergy and religious educators of Jewish descent from holding office positions. And this became untenable for the Reverend Niemöller. So he decided to use his voice for God, 
And he threw his pastoral authority behind preaching against the Nazi regime. Finally, though, it seems that Hitler had the last word. And he was sentenced, sentenced to Dachau in 1937. Hitler controlled Martin's narrative and his voice until 1945, when an even more powerful voice came on the scene, the Allied forces, and Dachau was liberated. Yes, to have power is to have the last word, and to have the last word is to have power, to control the narrative, and even to control ideology. In our story tonight, the prophets of Yahweh and Jezebel, the queen to King Ahab, were engaged in a game of cat and mouse, a power struggle. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon, and Ahab had married her for political alliance. And Jezebel worked to become a strong voice in Israel. And with that voice, pagan worship proliferated. Her voice controlled Israel's spiritual narrative. Sacred places for Baal and Asherah were built up, and the sacred places of God were torn down. The prophets of Yahweh responded by voicing God's displeasure, and there ensues the tug of war for spiritual power in Israel. Jezebel responds by killing off the prophets of God until it seems to Elijah that only he maybe remains. It seems Jezebel maybe has had the last word. But then Elijah steps into prominence and in the name of Yahweh, he declares a famine on the land. Now what's powerful about that voice is that Baal is presumably the god of rain and is to be worshipped so that there would be bountiful harvest. But the famine ensues and it seems to prove that Yahweh is the more powerful god, the real god in control of rain. Is this the powerful last word? No. More deaths of prophets of God and more worship of Baal and Asherah. But then comes the showdown on Mount Carmel, where once and for all the power of Yahweh is revealed, God rains down fire from heaven that leaves, that leaves all people there absolutely mortified. The revelation of God's power left every witness there gripped with soul-bending fear. In the face of that fear, the prophets of Baal flee. But the people of Israel freeze and they fall prostrate before God. But Elijah harnesses, harnesses that fear and they chase down the prophets of Baal and there is a bloody slaughter in the Kishon Valley. However righteous that slaughter may have been, 
At the end, when the fear ebbs out of Elijah's body, he's left with human blood on his sword and on his hands and probably his feet. Boy, Elijah must have thought that this was the final word from God because he calls off the famine. This is the final act that God is more powerful than Baal. He can stop the rain and he can start it as well. I imagine that the boom heard in those thunderclouds could have sounded like the triumphant boom. Take that. Oh, the mighty, wonderful last word. It is sweet. But then Elijah learns that Jezebel has not conceded the last word to Yahweh. Instead, she has taken the last word and targeted Elijah directly. And she vows that within a day's time, he will be dead. Emotionally spent, he senses his vulnerability and he feels completely exposed and alone. Gripped with fear again, he flees, becoming a refugee from his own country. Sustained by nourishment from God, he runs all the way to Mount Horeb. This is Sinai in the desert, God's holy mountain. Maybe he's hoping to find God's voice there again. A final word? Turn to 1 Kings 19. There, he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for God, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, 
Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Malahoah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. I wonder, I wonder if Elijah feels that he has been abandoned by God. The miraculous works have left Elijah emotionally spent and maybe even emotionally damaged. And yet, he is left exposed and vulnerable to Jezebel's threats. I wonder if he could have been angry with God because it seems when it came to protecting Elijah and protecting the other prophets of Yahweh, God has remained profoundly silent. They are all dead, and probably he soon will be too. God has been silent to make a final and decisive strike against Jezebel and the reigning regime in Israel. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament theologian, notes regarding the work of the biblical prophets and the political regimes at that time. He notes this. Every dominant regime imagines itself to continue without disruption and takes steps to guarantee that continuation. This is accomplished by the establishment of a monopoly of voice that limits what is said and that silences voices that are too dissonant from the claims of the regime. Now, Jezebel claims that Baal is the god to be depended on, but Elijah reveals Baal's lack of power. So his voice must be silenced, and his life is threatened. Controlling that narrative and silencing people who oppose those in power are tactics still employed today. With the inception of our information age and the proliferation of media, there are many political voices vying for a place of power in our society, working to form our cultures, to uh, help us make our choices, to give us an ideology. Consider the political arena. I find it interesting that in the political debate format, efforts are taken to level that playing field for the last word. In debate, care is taken about who is speaking and for how long. For those opening statements, the answers, the rebuttals, and the final responses. These voices are the ones that are attempting to control our narrative and our ideology. 
But outside of those controlled places, those voices can be a cacophony of voices. The modern political context is full of voices continually vying for that last word, that boom, trying to make a lasting effect on us. And it all weighs on us as it did Elijah. Fear, anger, abandonment leave us feeling disoriented, even in our families, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our homes. Having so many voices and opinions influencing us, we find ourselves even in discord with one another. In August of 2020, the online banner ran a series of articles entitled Hope for the Politically Homeless. Clearly, this was a response to a felt need of those in our church who are dizzyingly unsure of where they belong anymore. Vincent Bacote who is the author of The Political Disciple and one of the contributors to this series, names many of the recent voices and their effect on us. He wrote this, We in North America have been in a time of increasing ideological polarization for over a decade. And now intensified by a global pandemic and heightened attention to the long-standing problems of race. And then there is the U.S. election of November 2020. No one should be surprised as if they feel like their head is spinning at times. The disruption and the disorientation is a real thing. But where is God in all of this disorientation? Why doesn't he act powerfully? Why doesn't he take the last word and just straighten out all this business? We want to see his kingdom on this earth. Like Elijah, why is God content to leave his servant, the church, vulnerable? Why? Why? Why is God silent? And Elijah is asking these same questions with his angry tirade with God. I've been very zealous. The Israelites have rejected your covenants. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death. And I'm the only one left, God, and now they're after me too. He's saying, I don't get it. Why are you silent when I, your servant, feel so disoriented and vulnerable? And finally, at Horeb, God does respond to Elijah. And what he tells him teaches him three things. First, when God answers Elijah, his answer is not in the voice of a mighty wind or a fearsome earthquake or a roaring fire. He comes in a gentle whisper. Now, in some versions of the Bible, this is interpreted as the deafening sound of silence. 
And indeed, that Hebrew word is a word that sometimes is just interpreted as silence. And the word is often is used in Ecclesiastes also, where the wise Solomon says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be silent and a time to speak. We don't like silence. We'd much prefer God's mighty acts. Like when he spoke of the raining of fire on Mount Carmel. And he spoke in the blood, the rain of blood in the Kishon Valley. And he spoke by withholding atmospheric rain. But right now, God chooses silence through which to speak. And Elijah must choose to trust God in his silence as much as he trusts him in his mighty acts. With God's silence, Elijah is forced to open his ears and to listen intently to what God may be saying. My daughter's first grade teacher employed this tactic well. Her voice was so quiet, I found I could hardly hear her. And I worried that the children might just run all over her. But her quietness had the opposite effect. They had to listen so intently to hear her that they kept their voices down. She simply refused to get into the habit of speaking over top of her students. She demanded that they listen to her. You see, our omnipotent God doesn't need to enter into the fray of having the last word. He's not required to enter into that tit-for-tat with humans or human regimes. He doesn't need to display his power, even if we think it would make us feel more assured. With God, it seems there are times to be silent and there are times to speak. When God defines who he is to Moses in Exodus 3, he doesn't define himself by some kind of sound or sight. He simply says, I am. It is Moses who needs the signs of his being, a staff turning to a snake or a diseased hand that's healed miraculously. God's silence is deafening and it does speak. It tells us about how supreme of a God he is. If only Elijah would listen well. And second, the second lesson, God reminds Elijah that he is the source of all authority, which is given to ruling regimes. Whatever power people or leaders or groups think they have, they have it because it's been assigned to them by God. And he demonstrates this by explaining that he has plans for Haziel and Jehu, 
the next kings of Aram and Israel, respectively. And Elisha is going to replace him as prophet. God is quietly controlling who rises to power in Israel and the surrounding nations. And God is controlling who is dethroned from those powers. Power is sourced from the omnipotent I am. And God's will will be enacted through those powers. He says, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will, be put, will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. It seems that God doesn't need to voice, to use his voice to control the narrative because he is creating the narrative. And finally, God assures Elijah's fears. It's as if he's saying, oh, by the way, you aren't the only one left, unbeknownst to you. I have silently been keeping 7,000 of my own people. I have been keeping them faithful to me. God always keeps a remnant, does he not? With whom to work out his covenant plan. Even when God is silent, he is leading, he is providing and sustaining that narrative that he covenantally is the God of people who don't keep the covenant. However, we live under a new covenant in Jesus Christ as ordained in the New Testament by his death and his resurrection Jesus himself used silence when he was questioned the night of his crucifixion. He was completely silent with Herod, and his answers were quite elusive with um, the, the Hebrew leaders and with Pilate. So he chose not to control the narrative, but he was creating a salvific narrative for a greater purpose of inviting us into a new covenant. And to accomplish his will of God, Jesus would suffer the ultimate silence from the Father. Total abandonment. Like Elijah, God was silent with Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, his father was silent to his plead his plea to take the cup of death away from him. And his sweat rained down like blood that night. And on the cross, his father was silent in full abandonment. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus' hands and feet were covered with his own blood and his own side was run through with a sword. Oh, the deafening sound of silence. Listen. Can you hear how much our Heavenly Father loves us? To save us from that awful type of silence. And yet... We will still fear. We may still feel abandoned by God. 
Why must we continue feeling alone and disoriented and unwanted? Because God is saying, listen. It's time to listen. We can be confident that God is omnipotent and omniscient and faithful. And that he is creating a narrative of his own spiritual kingdom of God. So listen to what he is doing and what he is allowing right now. It is for his purpose somehow. And be assured that he always maintains and is with a remnant of those that he gives faith, the church. And we do have that hope that he will have the last word one day. The Reverend Martin Niemöller, who I mentioned earlier, has a well-known quote that alludes to the voices that have power. He wrote this. First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. It seemed that Martin Niemöller was finished when his powers finally overwhelmed him, when the powers finally overwhelmed him, because there was no one left to speak for him. But he was eventually liberated politically, and it seems that he was liberated spiritually as well. He lived until 1984 speaking and teaching about all that he had learned about God, about the ecumenical church, and about having allegiance to God over all. And even in God's silence to politically protect him, God was covenantally acting as his God, drawing him to him even more. God is always, always working out his narrative in our lives. Pray with me. Oh God in heaven, we do feel alone sometimes, overwhelmed by this life. And we wonder where you can be, why you aren't near, why we don't feel you. But God, we are resting in your promises that you are always there, that you are always working, and that you will always love us profoundly. Help us in our unbelief. In the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.